Hey, good morning, Hope. How are you guys today? Good. Good. I heard a lot of good things about the 11 o'clock service. I'm typically my family's in at 9, so it's good to be in front of all of you today. Uh, let us start by uh, reading the passages that we're going to review today. Uh, today, let's turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make the, those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come, down, uh, come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will bring, and I'll write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we ask that you prepare our ears, you prepare our hearts, you prepare our minds and souls and our bodies to listen to what you have spoken to us in these churches. We want to honor Jesus today. We want to understand what he is saying to these churches. We want to understand what he is saying to us. Jesus, would your name be honored here today? May your word be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, before I begin the message, I... I had to ask this question. It's a funny, it's a, not a funny question, it's a question. How many in this room have seen the movie Top Gun 2 Maverick? All right. Uh, the reason I asked that question, for three reasons. Number one, this message is really impactful, meaning there's a lot of material in here, and we're going to move through it kind of fast and furious. So I apologize about that. We're going to go through some peaks and valleys and go through uh, all the mountains of, of what that script has just led to us. The other reason is that it's a sequel. Last week we heard from Kevin Kutzel on the church of Smyrna and the persecuted church and what Jesus said to them. So this is kind of a follow-up. And so there's, there'll be a little bit of a content in there that's very similar to what Smyrna had walked through. And then the third point. I'm going to ask for some grace today. This message was being prepared to give on July 10th and Mark Scott was supposed to preach today. But he was tested positive for COVID and so I filmed it in for him. So if it's clunky... And I read from my papers more than I want to. Just be aware that, that that's why I was doing that. So I appreciate your grace and patience in all of this. And that's not my child crying, by the way. <laughs> but we thank you for your patience with uh, the doors open and the wind. Uh, just to keep you guys cool and, and as comfortable as you possibly can. All right. Uh, for those who are new today or are tracking, we, there's seven of us on the leadership team that are going through the book, or I'm not going through the seven churches of Revelation. And what we're doing is we're reviewing the words of Jesus and what he is saying to those churches and applying them. Do they, you know, what we're reviewing them and saying, what is Jesus saying to the churches? 
What we're not doing is we're not doing this as a lens of what's Jesus' return like? Well, how does it all line up? It's strictly to look at what Jesus is saying to the church and how does that impact the church? What have they done in the past good? What are they doing presently good or bad? And what the future is to come? And so as elders of the church, we're reviewing this and trying to apply it to hope and saying, how do we measure up against these? And how do we set the course for the vision of the future of hope? And so that's kind of why the whole purpose of these. And plus it gives Sean a little break, but uh, on the same point, this is a very purposeful uh, study of these seven churches. So with that being said, we're going to be looking at Philadelphia, uh, but we'll get to that in a moment. I work for Cisco Food Distributors. We're a national food distributor that de delivers food to many different, uh, uh, different markets. And we have about 60 billion in sales. We have 40,000 associates that work for us nationally. And probably internationally, we have another 20,000. So there's 60,000 people altogether that work for Cisco. And so what Cisco does is saying, hey, how do we make sure that our associates are aligned with the visions and values of Cisco? How do we make sure that they're following the metrics that are out there uh, that we have set forward to make sure everyone has oars in the water and rowing together? And so they have this thing called a CMP, or Coaching and Maximizing Performance. It's a yearly review. You take a time period, which is usually a fiscal year, and you look at what you did in that past year. Did you meet the goals? Did you meet the metrics that were set up for you? Are you following the vision and the values that Cisco set forth? And then we review presently what we're doing, and then we look at the future and say, this is what we want to accomplish in the next year. So we have an established time period that we look at, then we review what that, we look at the performance of that, then we look at the present, and then we look at the, what, what we need to do next to move forward in the visions and values. Again, it's, it's so, uh, the Cisco's way of trying to make sure everyone has oars in the water and rowing the same direction. And so in this review, you sit down with your leader and you go through the, all the material, and then he reviews you, and then he gives you this rating. And this rating is set to, to work on you know, how you're compensated, how you can move throughout the company. It, it follows you. It's telling you this is the kind of employee that you are. And so at the end of it, we're given a rating system. And this is what it looks like right now. It looks really complicated. It's not as bad as it, as, as it seems. But for a message like this, there's a lot of information. So we're going to go back and look at how we used to be graded. And this is the performance ratings that we were graded on. Typically, it's an on-target. But if you're exceeding the expectations of what your job function is and what you're trying to achieve, you can get an above-target. And then if you're significantly above-target, it means that you're, you're, you're excelling at what you're doing. You're going above and beyond, and you're doing a really good job. Of course, there's below target and significantly below target. And obviously, those are categories that you want to look at. So this is the rating system that we're going to use in reviewing the churches. And today, specifically for uh, the Church of Philadelphia. So give me a second here. Let me catch up in my notes. So, uh, the rate, so this is where we're at. So this is the rating system that we're going to use. So the time period that we're going to quickly look at is about a 30 to 40 years look into the past of the first generation church of Philadelphia. The book of Revelation was written by John probably about 60 years uh, after Jesus died. And so you give it about 10 to 15 years for the establishment of the church. And now that they're fully functioning, this is Jesus' review of the first generation of believers that are operating in that church. <coughs> Excuse me. But then you have to look at is what is Jesus going to measure us off of? And before I get into that, there's a statement that I want to ask in this room. How many have heard this statement? He's so heavenly minded 
that he's no earthly good. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it, we've heard that statement before. And I thought a lot about that. And I said, I want to look through scripture to see if scripture validates that a little bit. I, I, and then I reckoned back to my, my uh, journey with the Lord. On October 7th, 2004 is when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's about six months after, six months and a day after my uh, oldest daughter was born. And I remember it clear as day. But leading up to that event, there was a gentleman in my life named Jeff Faton. And as we were growing, as, as I got to know him, uh, he was dropping these seeds of Jesus. My wife and I had a great Catholic background, so we had the establishment of who God was, who Jesus was. But Jeff was bringing a different approach where he's dropping these seeds of who Jesus is. And so we had these conversations with him. Uh, I, I had these conversations and we started talking about the end times. And I'm like, well, what do you mean Jesus is coming back? I know that's what the Bible says, but that's like way off in the future. And Jeff's like, well, we, we talked through that a little bit. And I started hearing words about the rapture and pre-tribulation, tribu the tribulation period, uh, the great tribulation, the book of Daniel, all these things. And it kept feeding my soul, right? And I wanted to know more. And so G the Lord used end time prophecy to really drive me to, to know Jesus as my savior. So after I got saved, I began listening to Moody Radio. And that just formed a lot of who I am in my faith. You had people like uh, Dr. David Jeremiah. You had uh, Edward, uh, Erwin Lutzer. You had uh, Chuck Swindoll and Joe Stoll and Alistair Begg, to name a few that just really shaped. And every time they brought out scripture, it just, man, it just burned in my heart. And the more and more I got to know the Lord, the more and more he was uh, showing me more about uh, the end times and, and the return of Jesus. And I remember one day, I was sitting in the small office. I worked for a company of like five or six people at the time. Uh, and I'm sitting in this office, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm staring. And I'm like, I just heard this message on Moody about Jesus' return. I'm like, man, let's just go. Let's just get this going, God. Like, this work is pointless. Raising a special needs child, it's challenging. I just, let's just end it. Let's go. And I'm sitting there literally feeling like, let's go, let's go. And at that moment... I could look back and say I was so heavenly minded that I was no earthly good. But I also recognized that Jesus was discipling me at that time and he gave me scriptures like, if you don't work, you don't eat. And work as if you're working for the Lord. And I know that God didn't just want me to sit there and wait for his return. I needed to get back at it. So my wife was really happy that it was just a moment of time and I got back to work. But uh, you can understand where that heavenly minded, you're like, I just want to avoid all my responsibilities. And I just love Jesus. It was more than that, right? But I want to take a different perspective on a heavenly minded means you're earthly good. And if you're going to be heavenly minded, you're going to be kingdom good. In fact, I'll say it this way. I don't think you can be earthly good unless you are heavenly minded. And so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, mention or we're going to look at the principle that Jesus is going to measure the church of Philadelphia off of. And what I mean like that is when you're in a review, you've got the principles or you've got the metrics that you're going to be measured off of and how are you doing against them. So we all uh, that are going to stand in front of Jesus as people that have been redeemed by his blood are going to be reviewed on how we follow Jesus' words and his instruction. He'll probably, I know he'll ask us how we did with the greatest commandment, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and love your neighbor equally as much as yourself. He's going to measure us and talk to us about how did we evangelize the community how do we do with discipleship? How do we do with our stewarding of our resources, of, of, of our assets and our time? 
He's going to measure us. How did you forgive these people? Or how did you forgive people in your life? All these things are going to be measured. But we can't do all that today. So he's going to measure us on something a little bit. I'm going to use what the, the principle he's going to use to measure the church of Philadelphia. And then we're going to begin in Matthew 6, 19 through uh, 21. So we're going to start with Jesus looking at a heart condition. He says, Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in. And here's the point. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So first, we're going to look at the heart condition. But in a review, we're going to look at action steps that you took in order to accomplish that heart condition. And so what we're going to measure ourselves off of, or what the Church of Philadelphia off of, is the next slide, found in Matthew 13, 44 through 45. And it says, The kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You know, typically, this verse or these verses are, are aligned with how you're handling your resources, whether it's time, whether it's uh, your assets, whatever it has, however you financially give, usually we look at that. And it's not applied to suffering or persecution, but I'm going to challenge you in saying it absolutely has to do with uh, the endurance of persecution and the endurance of challenges and trials in your life. Because if you're not sold out for the kingdom, you can't handle the pressure that happens when you feel the squeeze of the world around you. And so what we're going to look at is this. If we are uh, properly invested in the kingdom, then we can view our suffering as short term. And we're going to apply this. This is the metric that we're going to apply against the Philadelphia church. But I want to go over something here. If we value the words of Jesus, then the kingdom of heaven is worth everything. That's what we're going to apply to here today. If you value the words of Jesus, then the kingdom of heaven is worth everything that is in your possession to give up. And I'm not talking about assets. I'm talking about time, fan, everything that you possibly can hold to yourself is worth giving up everything for the kingdom. I had my buddy here. He was at the nine o'clock service. Him and his family were here from New Hampshire. And there was nine of them that stayed at our house last night. Big family and some friends that they had with them. But he's, a, he's in the financial markets. And I was thinking about an investment. And this is Jesus' principle here. When we invest in the stock market or we invest in a company or we invest our time into something, we're expecting some sort of return based on what the, how the company or the person is doing. So if you give $100 and you want to see a return of an extra $50, you invest that. Jesus' principle here that you get $150, you made $50. It's your expectation is I'm investing something in here to get a return. But the problem with this world is nothing is guaranteed. The stock market's not guaranteed. Investment relationships aren't guaranteed. But Jesus' saying is everything in the kingdom is guaranteed. 
Your investment is going to come out and you're going to have a, a whole Bible that tells us what our expectations can be of what's yet to come. Then it's worth the investment into the kingdom. Loved ones, I'm going to tell you that again. It's worth the investment into the kingdom of giving up everything you possibly can to pursue Jesus and pursue his, uh, the kingdom. So that's the standard uh, that we are going to look at. And before we get into Philadelphia, I'm going to read from my notes here. But we're going to look at the first two churches that we looked at and measure them against this standard and see what kind of rating Jesus would give them. So we started with Jeff Laird and his, conversa- or his message on the, on the review of Ephesus. And they came out below target, right? He spoke how the church did not tolerate sin and how they endured through current societal and cultural shifts and remained faithful to his name. But he also said this. Jesus said, you've abandoned your first love of him. He said, you're, you're more worried about keeping yourself relevant in the culture, to fight through the, the norms of culture, to keep certain agendas going, but you're not seeking people with love to bring them into the kingdom. The heart of your focus has moved away from the cross and onto power and influence. His instructions for their future was repent and do the works that you did at first and return to your first love. So their grading of that was, you're below target. You're not doing it. But then we go into Kevin Kutzel's message last week and he shared how the church of Smyrna was above target, if not significantly above target. They lived in a hostile environment against Christianity. They were hated and looked upon uh, to be destroyed by the Romans and Jews. Kevin made the statement that if you're willing to stand for Jesus, Jesus is willing to stand for you. Jesus makes it clear to this church that they're standing for him and to remain there. He's saying, good job, church. You're above target. Keep going. And he talks about their future performance and the, the rewards to come and to remain faithful because guess what? In their future, in your review, I'm telling you something, you're going to face more persecution. So he says, good job. You're on target. You're above target. You might be even a significantly above target. So that brings us to the Church of Philadelphia today. And let's go to verse 7 and 8. And to the angel in the Church of Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. It's really interesting to me that the first verse in 7 is uh, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Guess what Jesus is saying there? That regardless of your circumstances, I am in complete control. Jesus is clarifying it to us that he is the one in complete control. Nobody, no circumstances, no door that was shut, no door that was open, would be closed by anyone else but him. Satan, the enemy of our soul, tries to destroy us at every chance we get. He tries to destroy God's plan any chance that he gets. Let's start in the beginning with the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, right? Satan tried to destroy that immediately. And when the sin happened and the fall happened, God already had the plan of redemption in place. Satan failed. 
And you move forward a little bit to the Jews in the Egypt and the Egypt trying to destroy them into slavery and God removes them. And guess what? When their back's up against the wall and you've got the Red Sea here and you've got the Egyptian army coming after you to destroy you, what does God do? He parts the Red Sea and has the Jews walk through it. He saves them. Fast forward a little bit more, you got King David and, and Saul trying to pursue him and kill him as much as he possibly can because Satan doesn't want the Messiah to come through the King, uh, King David's bloodline. And Satan failed. Forward a little bit more and you're, you have the, the Jewish nation in Babylon and the Persian Empire under captivity because of their sin. And the, there's an edict that goes out when Queen Esther was in uh, power with, with the king and it was to destroy the Jews. Again, Jesus, uh, Satan wanted to destroy the Jews. And let's look at it real quickly in the, uh, the story of Esther. So you got Esther, who's, Jew, who's the Jewish queen, and her uncle Mordecai has given her this concept. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that the king's palace, you will escape any more than any other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you know but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I use this verse. It's a little bit of a stretch. But Mordecai knew there's absolutely no chance whatsoever that he was going to be destroyed by this edict. No chance. He made it clear. He says, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place if it isn't, for, 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 if it isn't by you. But I love this line. Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such time as this. There was purpose for her to be there. And this continued through the cross, right? Satan tried to destroy Jesus as many times as he could, failed. And he tried to prevent Jesus from going to the cross, and he failed. So Jesus is saying, I am in complete control. So in verse 8 in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 3, our vision of the kingdom and focus is on him and not to be deterred by our circumstances. Not to be deterred by our circumstances. If you face a door is shut, trust that Jesus is in control. If you face a door that is open, that you have to walk through, trust that Jesus is in control. So, in, in regards to the CMP or this performance review for this church, we have to find what he's measuring them off of. And again, he's measuring them off of, are you invested in the kingdom? But we have to look at the principle. So Jesus says, I know the works. We've read that. I know what you've done, but little power. Yet you've kept my word, action, and have not denied my name, another action. So where do we come up with this? Why is the word so important here? Where did Jesus even talk to this church about trusting in him? Let's turn to Matthew and look at that real quick. Matthew 5, 10, and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they, have, uh, for they persecute the prophets and who were before you. Next slide. Brothers will uh, brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and the child will raise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is setting this up. Next slide. And here's the action. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny my, before my Father who is in heaven. So there's the action point, right? And one more. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life my, for my sake will find it. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to measure you against these words. Did you deny my name? And guess what? The Church of Philadelphia loved ones came out with flying colors. They did it. Jesus is commending them on it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, next slide, please. So we look back at this and we say, okay, what is happening presently? In the past, the past 30 years, there was a tremendous amount of persecution and they passed the test. So let's look at the present circumstances. And we've already read verse 8, but let's go to verse 9. Behold, I will make those in the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Really powerful line right there. So out of that, we can learn. We really have an idea of what's going on within that church. They're being persecuted out of their place of worship. The synagogue was a really important part of the, of the city, of the Jewish life, that this is where they connect the most with God. And the, the leaders of that synagogue were refusing to allow them to come in. And that heartbreak, community is done there, fellowship is done there, and they were being prevented from going down. In fact, he says in here, he says, I'll make them come and bow down before your feet. And so it's my guess is these people were trying their hardest to, to they had little power as it says, in verse 8, and they were trying to do something just to be part of this community, and they were being denied, they were being persecuted. And I love this next line, and they learn, up oh, back, and they will learn that I have loved you. You know, I'm going to read something here that I thought, what would they, someone hear that potentially that they needed to hear this from Jesus? So I thought a little bit about it, and it says, you probably can understand that they're saying this. If God really loved you, he wouldn't let you suffer. If God really loved you, why are you so poor? Or if God really loved you, where is he? Where is this Jesus of yours? Or even, God doesn't love you because you believe in this Jesus and I'm going to make you suffer because you believe in it. They were being persecuted for their love for Jesus and everyone was saying, there's no chance, buddy. And it was much harder than that. But Jesus rewards them by saying, I, they will learn that I have loved you. I can't wait to hear those from Jesus. And I know he tells me that. I know he tells me that every day. But I can't wait to hear those words from him. What is the culture doing? We live in a culture war today in America, right? As a church, we don't face a ton of persecution. But we are certainly engaged in the culture war. And as Dad, Dan prayed for us a little bit this morning for the church and the healing of America, you could feel the angst coming. And so what is, what would potentially they be feeling in that time? And I found the scripture, a little bit of a stretch, but turn with me to Job 11 through 16. And this is what the world would be saying to these people in Philadelphia and really what they're saying to us today. He says, the wicked, they, the wicked, send out their little boys like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and lyre and rejoice in the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity, and in peace they go down in Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is this Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, it's not their prosperity in their hand, and the counsel of the wicked is far from me. 
Job is saying the world hates God and they want nothing to do with them and that persecution was real. I think it's important for me to say that I, my words probably can't adequately explain the persecution this church was feeling. That they can't understand, I can't properly today communicate to you that feeling. I have never been persecuted to this point in my life. I've had my moments where Satan has attacked me and it's a dark, nasty feeling and it's not fun. But I've never been prevented from worshiping or honoring Jesus Christ in my life publicly or privately. But these people have. And I'm going to take you to the origin right now in 2 Corinthians where Paul is planting this church that he's speaking to in, in Asia. These seven churches Paul went around and planted. And listen to these words that will give us a better idea of exactly what they felt. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was, not, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us on such a deadly pearl, and he will deliver us. On him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. I think these words are much better than anything I can communicate to you today. That Paul was under such despair that he felt this was the end for him. He thought it was all over. But it was realizing that it was God pulling him through this. And I can't, again, I can't express to you what persecution feels like. But these are pretty strong words to help us to feel that emotion out. And I'm going to say this to us as Hope Church. I don't think we felt persecution yet. In fact, I guarantee that we have. There might be some online today or someone in this that's felt some really strong persecution. I don't want to minimize that. But as a church body, we haven't. But scripture tells us that when Jesus is closer to returning, the heat gets hotter the closer we get to the fire. And I want to prepare you something for, prepare you for something, loved ones. I want you to read out of Luke what uh, Jesus says to us that kind of brings it in the context. Then he said that the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famine and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Listen to these words. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and in prison. And you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Loved ones, the closer we get to Jesus' return, the fire gets hotter. Are you invested in the kingdom enough that you can endure this? Can you endure when the heat gets hotter to be able to stand for Jesus and not deny his name? I want to be clear. We don't live in that time at this moment, but that fire feels like it's getting hotter, doesn't it? It's a real thing that's coming. I want you to know, I want to know, are you invested in the kingdom that you're so heavenly minded that you are earthly good? I also want to ask uh, this question. So next slide. Verse 
verse 10 says, verse 10 and 11, because you've kept my word in patient endurance, I'll keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon, hold fast. And I'll get to these words in a second. But Jesus is making two things clear. There's two groups that exist right now. The groups, the group number one is those that have trusted in the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. They'll be protected from the hour of trial. But there's a second group that is not protected because they haven't trusted the Lord. Which group do you stand in today? Are you protected by Jesus? Or are you waiting to see what happens? Because Jesus makes it clear, the hour trial is coming. And in verse 11, I am coming soon. So what action points does Jesus give us to, in order to help us to get through some of these things? And he says two things in verse 10 and 11. You kept my word and hold fast. And so those are two points I want to drive home to you today. That the word allows us to be touched and engaged with Jesus. This church, again, from a CMP process, is being reviewed on their action steps. And Jesus said, here's your action step. Keep my word and endure the trials. So Jesus is making it really clear. You and I can't see Jesus but his word gives us everything we need to make it through this world. Everything. Don't stop ignoring, or let me rephrase that. Don't ignore this word. Ingest it. And consume it. Jesus gives you everything you need out of the word. And that's why it's preached here. And then two, hold fast. I had to look on the internet. It's the true source of all information. What does it mean to hold fast? And I love this definition they give. Remain tightly secured. Continue to believe in or adhere to an idea or principles. Continue to believe in or adhere to an idea or principle. What better words can you hold to apply to holding on to our Savior? Loved ones, hold on to him. Hold on to him. So to lighten the mood a little bit, first I'm going to say this, I have it written here. Everything is worth giving up. The words I have here, we accumulate material things, m emotional baggage, uh, relationship things. All of this goes away the last time we close our eyes. And when we open them up, we'll be in the presence of Jesus for those who trust in his name. And he's going to ask you, were you invested in the kingdom? So what is it worth? What is, the, what is this all about? There's got to be some good that come out because this is a kind of a heavy message. So I want to look at the joy of yet to come. And so if you turn with me, because you, we've read this, because you've kept your word and for the trial, I'm coming soon, hold fast, for no one may seize your crown. There's something exciting about that. Have you ever thought about what the perfect gift would you be? Or isn't it exciting when someone that you love and that loves you presents this gift to you that is so perfectly because they understand you, they know you, and they want to give it to you in joy? That's what awaits for us in heaven. Jesus has these crowns that will be so magnificent. It'll, our names will be written on it that he knows us so well. The next thing that he tells us that uh, in the next verse is we'll be pillars in the temple. We're going to be part of something that we'll never have to read, leave. I think of this. I didn't say this in the last service. It just came to my mind. That I had um, in my grandma's house in Pennsylvania. She's uh, since uh, is no longer alive. But it was grandma's house. It was an amazing place to be. And they had this basement, this old cellar. My grandfather built this home. It's in the hills of Pennsylvania. Just, it just it was perfect for me. It was a perfect image of what grandma and grandpa would be. And I remember being in the basement. 
sitting there. And this is when I was coming to know the Lord more and more. And we were getting ready to leave. My family was there. We were all there. And, we're getting, and I just remember God saying, because I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave the, my grandma's house. There was something pure about it. And I remember God just telling me, once you're in heaven, you're never going to have to leave. If you've been at a vacation home or a vacation somewhere and you didn't want to leave, God says, you're never going to have to leave. I'm protected. You're part of it. You're part of heaven. And he gives us that joy. And we'll, be the, we'll see and feel the fullness of God. And he says, uh, he, he will be your God. He's just going to reveal himself to you. And I'm going to take us to one other spot. This is a little bit of a reading here. And I can't adequately add to words, but go to the next slide, please. And I just want to read this. I want to bring something that we get to look forward to. So Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Next slide. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. He showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. In the city it has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will be the nation's walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. These are just images right now but there's glory waiting for us if we endure this. So loved ones, that's what I'm going to ask you today. No matter what your experience is in life or what's coming through, where do you grade out? That's my question. Where do you fall in your performance rating based on your investment in the kingdom? Are you heavenly minded that you're earthly good? Are you heavenly minded because uh, to be kingdom good? Where do you fall? I'm going to say for the church of Philadelphia, it was really clear that Jesus gave them significantly above target. He had nothing against them. They patiently endured. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to sing a song here real shortly. But I want to ask this question. I asked it before and I'm going to ask it again. There's two groups that Jesus makes clear that exist. Those who've been redeemed and those who have not. And maybe these words are the first time you hear it and you're like, man, this is, this, is out, this is far outside of me. I just don't believe in these words. Or maybe there's something in here that just prevents you from soaking these in. But I'm telling you today, you have an opportunity to come to know Christ as your Savior. Sin has broken us. We are broken because of sin. And Jesus is offering a path of redemption for you today. 
So in this last song, you hear these words. I want to pray that you, if you're in this room today or online, then you need to know who your Savior is. You want to make sure that you're not in the judged crowd, but you're in the redeemed crowd. You have an opportunity to come up to this altar or stay in your seat and just know that you're being prayed for. But you have the opportunity today to physically take you out of a group that's it's going to be judged and into the land where you're redeemed. Let us pray. Father, I come into you today and I'm so thankful that your word lays it all out for us. That you tell us about our past, you tell us about our present, and you also give us the heads up about our future. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone in this room today that doesn't know you, that you tug on their heart hard, that it's not the heat of the room that they feel, but they feel the heat of your love surrounding them, that they are pulled into the kingdom. And Father, I pray for those in this room today that are redeemed, that they review their investment into the kingdom. They ask themselves, how do I grade out? Father, we strive to be significantly above target, but we fail at that. Would you show us ways? Would you redeem us in a way that you restore us to glorify your name? But Father, would you review our hearts and tell us how invested we are? Because you are worth it. In Jesus' name I pray.